Welcome to the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. <gasps> Presented by Luke's Pizzas. So don't do that for A. Thank you for the advice. Featuring Lucas Clark and Nigel Romaine. Tell me more about these lizard overlords. Now introducing your host, Tanner Retz. All right, and welcome back to the program. We got episode 16 of the Bring Your Lunch Pail podcast. This is Luke as your, again, de facto host with Tanner on the road, alongside my talking head, Nigel. What's up, guys? Uh, so this past weekend was, you know, we're three, we'll call it four weeks into the college football season with week zero with a couple of those games out in Dublin. and Barely counts, you know, but yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Realistically, we're in week three of the college football season. This is the first weekend, though, that... Uh, the two of us basically had a chance to actually sit down and enjoy some college football across the country because week one, week one, we're tailgating. We watched a little bit on our TV setup at the tailgate. As we had said, week two, we were at a wedding. So this is the first weekend that dogs are on the road, had a chance to wake up early ish, uh, drink yeah. some coffee yeah. at the crack at 1030. <laughs> yeah, got up at a, got up at 1030, had some coffee and then just kind of settled in for the day and watched some games. Uh, wasn't a good slate of games on paper, air quotes going yeah. in, but a uh, handful of interesting games that we got to watch, including uh, Alabama kind of struggling with South Florida. I thought that was an interesting one. Georgia also struggled with, I already forget who they who they struggled with. Uh, and then Colorado versus Colorado State was the nightcap. And that ended up being a surprising game, at least uh, according to the betters, but ended up being a double overtime thriller that ends with Colorado winning. So I'll just throw it to you real quick, Nige. Uh, any initial thoughts on some of the games from this past weekend? I. Uh- yeah, it was South Carolina, by the way, was the that's right. other one. Which and we, we talked about that Exactly, we bit, talked that, about it beforehand that that seemed like a game that was going to be sneaky good just because Spencer Rattler's still still a Heisman uh, type of candidate and uh, that Georgia team is hasn't really dug their feet in the ground yet with all the guys they lo- lost last year. Not that I don't think they're going to be in the national championship eventually, but at this point, I don't think they've got everything figured out. Yeah. So, Going through some growing pains. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, yeah, that game that game was pretty interesting through most of it. I think Georgia got a touchdown with a couple minutes left that kind of pushed it out out of reach for South Carolina. But um, that one was definitely interesting. The other one you didn't mention was uh, Florida State at Boston College. Yep. So all all the top four teams really had yeah, some Texas Wyoming. Yeah, Texas Wyoming yep. being the other one. All the top four teams just didn't really look particularly good. And then of course you throw Bama in there, which they're they're now what ranked 14. 13 14 yeah so um that boston college one was was pretty interesting we i kind of missed the the back half of that game cuz that was when the husky game started but kind of peaking they were doing some like uh peak-ins, I guess, of, of the game, um, and and Boston College got a fumble that they ran back for a touchdown to make that one interesting late. I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, the Georgia, or I guess the the thing with the Bama game, too, was that that one, there was a rain delay, which... Yeah, that uh, I, extended number delay. Number one proponent of this, uh, having, a, having a mud game like that, 
uh, in a bad weather game kind of evens the pl- evens the playing field a little bit. So um, we've seen it on the volleyball courts personally. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think if unless your unless your mother was a mother, uh, it's a little bit. His little father bit was a mother. Yes, his father was a mother. Uh, it could be a little bit tough in those games. It kind of evens evens out that athleticism. So I'm not knocking Bama too much, even though they probably dropped in the in the rankings. Um, but I think the real the real crown jewel of the day, outside of uh, the one we'll get to eventually here, the Huskies, was that Colorado Colorado State game, which I didn't uh, I wasn't up at the crack of dawn six a.m. here for uh, college game day, but I did see some of the clips. I watched a bit of it in the morning, like on my phone when I woke up, just to, to see what I had missed. And um, for one, The Rock showed up. To college game day, which yep. you know it's a prime time. That's like that's like throwing out the F-15s over the field before kickoff when the Rock shows up. That's a fact. When you bring in the Brahma, yeah. Bowl. When you bring in the Brahma Bowl, the most electrifying man in sports entertainment, to uh, your college game day. Way uh, to qualify that as sports entertainment, <laughs> yes. not sports. Yeah, uh, that was so. That was pretty cool to see. I I, uh, I don't know if I ever sent you that video, but like the Rock where. First off, Prime like bowing down to the Rock when he came came on the stage, awesome. But the main thing was, uh, Prime gave gave the Rock his uh, his sunglasses, and uh, the Rock stands up in front of these you know tens of thousands of Colorado fans. Boulder's looking beautiful, like sunny day, the mountains in the background, already a beautiful setting, arguably uh, the most beautiful setting in college football. Not the greatest setting, but a beautiful setting in college football. I would agree. Um, and the rock stands up in front of all these people, like lowers the glasses and, and does the people's eyebrow to everyone and says the most electrifying uh, uh, setting in college football or whatever he says, like people are going crazy. That is, it was, it was pretty cool. I love, I love seeing that. So, yeah, it was, it was an interesting weekend in college football and we can unpack this more and we talk about the Huskies cause I think it's applicable, but you know, it was just one of those weekends where you kind of saw a lot of people feel like college football is very predictable and that like the, the top teams are going to be there and they're going to like the script is already written for how the season is going to end. But you see pockets like this last weekend where it's like, Oh, Georgia struggles against a no, well, South Carolina is not a nobody, but they struggle against a team that they're favored by three touchdowns. Like, yeah. Bama struggles. Texas just beat Alabama and they are tied against Wyoming going into the fourth quarter. And so like maybe all these same teams, like they end up at the destination, but for, I feel like some people would feel like, Oh, well college football, like it's always the same people. It's like, there are still like interesting little anecdotes throughout the year where it's like, Oh, you kind of get this, you get some drama within the larger drama and this weekend, I feel like was a good example of that. Yeah, none uh, of these none of these teams are juggernauts, and I think in today's yes. college football, that's going to be more true than ever. Just because the playing field's a lot more level with NIL money situations, and like everyone can pay to get guys now. There's no like hush money, and like who's who's paying out the best underneath the underneath the shadows of of uh, college football. It's like it's all up front now and above board quotes. Uh, yeah, you're you're seeing it already. So, is it like? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name names, Nick Saban, but like these are the types of programs that basically dominated for a long time because they always paid the most money for their players to go there. Yeah. Now it's just a little bit more out in the open, and that was kind of gonna be my segue into Colorado. 
Yeah. As you see it already, is like now Colorado Colorado's the most popular team in college football because you have Prime there and like what that will do for their recruiting, NIL. Uh, I don't even remember the exact number on it, but it's like Prime's now selling his sunglasses. Like he I, gives out the sunglasses to the team after, you know, uh, Norvell, the coach for Colorado State. Uh, hopefully also you guys have baller seen move. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you guys saw that already. But, you know, Norvell, the coach of Colorado State, kind of calls out Dion and says, uh, you know, I was taught by my mama that when you talk to grownups, which more on that in a second, you take your hat off and you take your sunglasses. He says this as he's wearing a visor during the <laughs> during this interview. Is that uh, so one one I'll get to that right there is that any adult who says when I'm talking to grownups, like you sound like a child. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, it's yeah, not, you're, it's not. The, the grownups say we can't do it. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, is they, it like you sound like a child when you say that first yeah. and foremost? It's if like, you when I talk any, to grownups, it's like you are a grown-up. adult as a grownup, you're a baby. Yeah. Like, yeah so, you're under five. But but credit to Norvell and his Colorado State Rams is that they came out to play yeah. in that game. They definitely and did. uh again, kind of bouncing around, but you know, Colorado has put themselves in this most popular team in college football. It's because of Prime, but even like you said, game day, like you have the rock there. You have Wheezy F baby <laughs> coming yes. out and like, yeah. like Get you're getting there. the celebrities in there, like you're getting the fanfare. Like high school high school recruits respond to that. And I think ultimately it's this really awesome space for all the negativity around nil and players getting paid i actually think this is an awesome thing for college football that places like boulder colorado now are the most popular places in the country is one of the most popular places in the country yeah and it's like it's just kind of opened it up a little bit that it's not just bama georgia clemson notre dame insert texas like insert a couple other of those perennial powers that it's like there is space now for other players to get to the table. Does that mean that they're going to flip the table and flip the script and all of a sudden Colorado is going to be a national championship team every year? Probably not, but it creates for more drama during the season and more intrigue. And like you get players like Travis Hunter to get to the next topic of that Colorado, Colorado state game. You get guys like Travis Hunter are now playing at Colorado instead of Florida state, which is where he probably would have went. Yeah had Dion not been at Jackson State. So specifically to the game, now Colorado, Colorado State, double overtime game. A lot of that is kind of set up by the fact that Travis Hunter goes down early in that game. Filthy hit. On what I think most people would consider a dirty play by the defender. I don't remember his name. Probably not worth repeating anyways, because uh, I'll throw this question to Nigel, is that uh, he's already getting like death threats from the Colorado fan base for this dirty hit on Travis Hunter. Uh, we've already been a little critical about the Colorado fan base for rushing the field, which they did again. <laughs> they did again against an unranked <laughs> opponent at home. Yeah. yeah. Let's, and uh, I think that's all good and fun, and that's, you know, Grand Torino, get off my lawn type of stuff that we like to have jokes about, that it's like, you can't rush the field. You're 20 point. You're ranked. You're, you're the favorites. You can't do that. Uh, I think there's some real criticism to be had for Colorado fans, though, sending death threats to a college football player for agreeably making a dirty play. But like you're on the football field, keep your head on a swivel. But yes, it it, it was a dirty play. I think that 
it's it's Twitter fingers at the end of the day. It's these people. Come and say it to that dude's face. That guy was a beefcake. Go yeah. go and tell him to his face what you think about what you think about that hit, and uh, and then maybe there will be two hits: him hitting you and bop to bop my kid off playing in the background. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, th- I think could not have said it better. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think it's ridiculous that anyone's sending death threats to a college kid. It's probably stupid college kids that are doing it. Um, but I think they were, they were sending death threats to his family too. Like, it's just absurd. And I hate to bring it, I hate to break it to you, Colorado fans, but your, uh, your parade at the top is going to be ended here probably next weekend when you go lose to Oregon. And if not the weekend after that, I I can't imagine they're going to come out of that weekend two and O or the next two weekends two and O. So I'm, I'm really curious to see like the prime effect has been interesting for these first three weeks against bad teams in my opinion so i'll be curious TCU's to probably see. okay not yeah, bad yeah okay yeah okay yeah i think the tcu game is probably a you know okay opponent for sure more probably on colorado's level i'd say but the the other two not that impressive you got college game day you got the hype like whatever let's see how you do against a top 20 a real top 25 team not one that you beat a, a false king in a TCU that was overranked and overhyped because well, they had a good team last year. Well, that's the real that's the real shame of it, though, is that I would tend to agree that even at full strength that I think Colorado uh, would probably get humbled by Oregon and USC in back-to-back weeks. But I think there's still a little bit of that we won't really know because yeah, it sounds like Travis Hunter is going to be hurt and out what if Colorado goes and loses by one score without Travis Hunter to Oregon? Yeah, well, if they it's do, it's a big then, if. If they do, then I think that that, you know, then they're in the conversation. Like, you know, that's that's why I'm curious to see it because i i love I love this uh, the prime effect going on, and it's fun and it's exciting and it's a new, you know, new age of college football. But it's it's been three weeks. Let's see. Let's see how they do against a big time opponent or two. And you've said this for weeks and months now. It's like, do they have the depth to hang with the big dogs? And they've they showed that they could turn around and win that game because they played like trash after after uh, uh, Travis went down. But yeah. like, let's so let's and I think Shador Sanders is still a really good quarterback. So you still have that going for you that. Generally speaking, if you have a quarterback that can get things done in college football, you can go a long way with that. And I think Shador Sanders is a really good quarterback. So we'll see. We'll see if they can. They I, have, can... I have a question for you. Yeah, let's hear it. Do you think that based off of the way that that game went for Colorado and Colorado State, do you feel like that is a loss for them because they were, you know, 20 point favorites college game days there? And they did not really, at least by betting standards, live up to the hype. Or is that a win because they played like absolute shit? And basically they got the ball what at the two or three yard line and had to drive the length of the field and get a two point conversion to tie the game to send it to overtime. And they rose to the occasion and they looked more like the team that you would expect them to be, which is like, we are not going to get beat by by, uh, the likes of Colorado State. Do you think that's a loss for them or a win for them in that regard? I would say right now or right after the game when I'm looking at it, I'd say it's probably a win because it it just kind of goes to what you were talking about at the beginning of the 
the the seg or pod segment here um, that nobody's a juggernaut in this league. Like everybody's gonna have to survive and and have to battle in games. And so the the best of the best are the ones that you may not have your best game, but you end up winning because you find a way. And so that's that's why I'm giving Shador his flowers because at the at the end of that game, he he brought them back for one. I thought he was concussed. And and or he took a huge hit. If he wasn't concussed, that's a, it's a Russell. He got his Wilson. bell. He got his yeah. Bell he got wrong. his bell wrong exactly. He like he he got hit really hard and came back and on the next play threw a touchdown. I'm pretty sure. So he's he was stuck with the team there and uh, and had a hell of an end to the game. So I think I'd say it's a win, but it doesn't change the fact that I think they've got bigger tests coming up here. And so if you were you enjoy the first three weeks and it's been fun, but I'm curious to see what the hype train looks like if you lose the next two weeks and what that what that whole thing looks like because it seems like it was, you know, everyone's everyone's jumping on the bandwagon right now and and college game day comes to town and, like, everyone, you know, everyone wants to make money. I, th- I heard something like... It was like eighteen million dollars or something in the in like the greater Boulder area in like revenue from from people coming into the game. It was some absurd amount of money that they projected. It's like so yeah, why you know why not jump on that bandwagon because you're popular now and yeah. I think Colorado is the, the is the most bet on team right now in college football. Yeah, I mean like they've placed more. Vegas has received more bets on Colorado football than any other program. Yeah, it was the it was the fifth most watched college football game in in the last like decade or something like that on ESPN, the most streamed ever. So it's like young people are clearly into it and watching it. So that's definitely something I'm just, like I said, I'm curious to see if you can maintain that, that level after you lose what I assume is going to happen. You lose the next two weeks. Are you able to keep that kind of momentum going? If you are, that is when I'll be impressed (laughs) that, that you're, you're really that, that big of a hype team and like people are really that on board with it. Um, yeah, I agree. I think that's a, I think it's the and, silver and it'll lining. It'll depend on how they, like how those games go too. It's like, like you said, if they lose by one and it's a great game against Oregon, yeah, the hype train should keep going. Like that's, that's going to happen. And there that I think as much as I love to hate on Oregon, Oregon's a good program, great program probably when it comes to football. And so, if you go out there and you have a great game on the road against them and follow that up, even if you lose both those games, but it's close and you're in it, I think that's a, I think that's a win overall. If you go and get blown out and now no one gives a shit and no one cares about watching Colorado football anymore, that like, that's what I'm curious to see if what happens there in the next couple of weeks, I think we'll know a lot more about that team and about prime and and everything you know in the in a few weeks so time will tell i think uh last thing on the colorado colorado state game is that said it when it happened and i know you'll agree so this isn't some sort of this isn't a question this is just a statement said it in that in overtime that colorado state was that overtime maybe that was i can't remember at all i think it was overtime that like Go for two right now. Yeah, because Colorado gets the ball to start overtime. They score a touchdown, kick the extra point, go up seven. Colorado gets the ball overtime, scores the touchdown. I said it right then. Go for two right now. Yeah. Go win the game. You like, There's no point in prolonging this game. Yeah. You've already kind of 
fumbled the bag you, on this one. You were you've up outlived for most... your, you've, you've outlived your expectation at this exactly. point. Exactly. It's like you, you may... have nobody's going to fault you for losing by going for two. Yeah. Just go do it. Go win the game right now. They didn't do it. They kicked the extra point. They end up losing. I thought that was a real miss by Norvell, and that would have really been his chance to, you know, put the hat and glasses on for the uh, handshake. This is like, I'm I'm the Billy badass that went for yeah. two to win the game. I'm the grown up in the room. So exactly. <laughs> and so I thought that was a real missed opportunity uh, by the Colorado State Rams. I'll tell you, you didn't miss an opportunity though, and that's the Washington Huskies. The real the real topic <laughs> wow. of the real topic of discussion here is uh, we we just we just kind of talked about before about how there's a lot of teams uh, in the upper echelon of college football that kind of had some little stumbles. They all won but they kind of stumbled along the way. Huskies were not one of those teams. They go on the road to East Lansing to play a Michigan State team that we did admittedly say beforehand is, I know I said this, they're a shell of the team that they were just a few years ago. They weren't very good last year. They won, I think I think they were 4-8 and eight last year. They had a lot of their best players transfer out, including Jeremy Bernard. I'm just kind of repeating what I said on the last podcast. But for emphasis, uh, Jeremy Bernard, he transferred out of that program. Guy fucking looks awesome for the dogs. But Huskies roll into uh, roll into Michigan State. They win forty-one to seven. I hope you guys took the pledge to Brenda Tracy's foundation. We put the link up on there. If you haven't already, and you're an listener, and you're a listener of the show, you need to go follow that link and donate your thirty-four dollars. That's right, just like we did. At okay. least thirty-four dollars. We told you before that it was going to be a drub, and I thought. My score prediction was a little more cagey than it ended up being. Uh, I'm happy, though, to donate the money because uh, Huskies Huskies took care of business and Brenda Tracy deserves it. Uh, Mel Tucker. And Mel Tucker's a dirtbag. <laughs> Mel Tucker's yeah. a dirtbag. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it's, uh, uh, it's, it's really coming out this week. I don't want to focus too much on that, but uh, yeah. Go, yeah, I, I think we covered that. Brenda Tracy, Tracy, support women. Yeah, we, we kind of covered that last week. So, like I said, follow the link, make your donation. Uh, support, 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 he's getting emotional over here, support women and support the dogs and support the bring your lunch bell podcast. But so Huskies win 41, seven initial thoughts, Nigel, why don't you just hit me with some rapid fire? (laughs) Yeah. So, so first things that I think we talked about after the game, you and I was that, um, number one takeaway from this game was that the things I was worried about the most were some of the some of the best parts about the game. So totally. number one being our, our running attack. Uh, Dylan Johnson looked excellent right off the bat. Like just, just was hammering the ball down their throat, but the best D line we've run against all season. And th- he was, he looked fantastic. Um, number two D line and D line pressure, like on pass plays looked um, awesome. Looked awesome. <laughs> Braylon Tryson and ZT- ZTF were just living in the backfield. ZTF had a strip sack that he got snubbed of. He did get the sack on it, but uh, I still am, am miffed about how the Pac-12 refs that were there uh, weren't able to figure out, or and the and the the coaching staff of the Huskies wasn't able to figure out that that was an easy turnover. He he just popped the ball right out. Yeah, and, and I, I thought I saw DeBoer say that even in his like Monday press conference that it's like we just didn't see enough, enough to say. Yeah clear loss of possession is like they called a timeout for you yeah chris sims the announcer yeah chris sims the announcer said uh 
clearest that fumble. It's the clearest fumble of the season that he's seen so far. So that I I don't know what else you need to see in order to uh, challenge that or for the booth to challenge it. But the moral of the story is defensive line looked fantastic. Pass rush looked phenomenal. Um, they were they were living in the backfield all day. Um, so that was great. Uh, Penix and this receiving core still looks insane. I, I think Penix nearly dropped 500 yards on the day. I think through, he had 473 basically through. Well, through, he basically had. I think he had 440 at halftime or something. Yeah, like I was that, gonna say so. and he barely. He he went in for two more drives after that. Three more drives and kind of run heavy. We also broke a big run on one of those. Dylan Johnson. Um, yeah, had Dylan a big Johnson run. broke a big run on one of those. So. Yeah, so the, I guess main takeaways, Huskies came to play, <laughs> for one, which kind of worried about sometimes, like the, those first first away games of the year. Uh, Huskies were not were not shaken by that at all, came to play immediately, um, you know, scored on their opening drive, looked really good the entire game. Defense looked fantastic, running game looked fantastic. That's my, my initial takeaways there. Yeah, I agree is that, that was the number one thing that I was worried about traveling on the road, playing a power five program in what should be a hostile environment, which looked like there's a lot of fans there. Yeah. They just got silenced pretty quickly, is, yeah. which helps the dogs. But yeah, we know that Michael Penix can throw the ball. We know that this wide receiver core is stacked top to bottom. It'll be concerning in a game where they are not able to throw the ball. I just don't foresee that happening this year. Like completely not being able to throw the ball, yeah. but we. I would said, say outside of weather related situations, I don't know that that's going to be a thing that we have yeah. to worry about this year. But like you said, is that the number one, <laughs> the number one thing that uh, you want to see from this dogs team to really show that they have legitimate college football playoff aspirations? Is that they got to show that they're a complete team, and what they really hadn't shown so far, ability to run the ball through the tackles. And to be fair, they really still didn't run it that much. But they showed early in the game that they could be effective with those runs. And that's really all they have to be. They don't need to be a team that runs the ball 40 times in a game. But if you run it 20 times, like you need to be you need to get to second and five. You need to convert convert third and ones. And they kind of did that early in the game when the game was still, we'll say, in the balance. It kind of got out of balance pretty quickly, but they showed that they could do that, which is kind of surprising because they couldn't. They didn't really do that against Tulsa, who is clearly a lesser opponent. Yeah. But it was good to see the. It was good to see Dylan Johnson go out there and really look like the 218 pound back that he is, and just like move move tacklers and get forward. And then, uh, like you said, the defense that that's one of the best defensive performances. I don't know if that says a lot about Michigan State and their lack of offense. Probably does because I just don't think that they're very good. Although but, the Kim guy had thrown for three hundred yards, yeah, against Waverly Baby Home, yeah, but he could still throw against somebody, yeah, which is something. It's just when when it's compared to Penix, it's it doesn't look. I'm more. Like I was more impressed though by the front seven. Is it like I don't know if I've said this specifically on the podcast. A lot of people I think doubted the secondary of UW going back to last year. Those. Uh, yeah. UCLA, uh, Arizona State games. There's a lot of injuries in those ones. I actually like the DB room for this Husky team, and we'll get to injuries too. But like, 
Mish Pal, Elijah Jackson, even uh, Thaddeus Dixon getting in there. They had Nunley. They had Nunley. They had Nunley playing at safety, and yeah. I think we talked about him a little bit in the spring preview because he was a guy that I had heard from like Dogman or other more recruiting based uh, websites and podcasts that was a guy that was going to find his way into the starting rotation as a freshman. And there he is because of injury. Cause Asa Turner's hurt, yeah. but he's out there and starting Cam Fab is and hurt. Cam Fab is hurt, but he's out there starting and he's making plays and looking good. I actually think this UW secondary is one of the stronger parts of their defense. The front seven has more experience and strangely, I'm more worried about them because he got a lot of guys. Like, obviously, I'm not talking about ZTF and Braylon Trice. Yeah. Well, they, another, they answered some questions. Who, yeah, another guy who looked really good was uh, Tuli Latuli. Yes. He was he was uh, interior D lineman, or is interior D lineman for us. Um, he was kind of doing the same thing. He was living in the backfield, just eating up blockers, eating up run, <laughs> runs. Like, the Michigan State strength is – obviously their run game which and they didn't even really they, try yeah, to they do they, they were completely ineffective when they did try and yeah and i think part of that is because they were so far behind they knew that they weren't going to be able to run run and dink and dunk us for three and five yards of carry but when they did try it early in the game it was stuffed look tuli latuli looked great um mj ollie Still looks fantastic out there. He got called on the hold on the first play of the game, which was cle- clearly a targeted BS thing from the uh, referees we, and the coaches. We, wa- we watched that play five times in a row on the replay because – Nigel and I are fucking sickos, and after we after we watched after we I watched, like, I need game, to know if there was a hold. After, we watched it two hours after the game. After after the game, after the Colorado Colorado State game, we're like, I wonder if Peacock has the replay available. They do for Peacock subscribers, and they have the commercials cut from them. Uh, nice. We could go on a larger conversation about the Peacock broadcast, maybe towards the end of our Husky talk, because I we had. We had talked about this before that they're going to be playing this game exclusively on Peacock. Uh, Peacock, though, to their credit, they had the entire game cut up, ready to go, like two or three hours after the game ended. No commercials, just cut like full plays, though, not like Game in 60, which I actually prefer that. But being the sickos we are, as soon as the Colorado Colorado State game ended, we're like, Let's go see if Peacock has the Husky game up. They do. First play of the game, they call MJ Alle on a defensive holding on the D-line. Meanwhile, they motion their tight end across the formation. And like I said, I was like, when we I had to watch it five times because each time my eye is so drawn to the fact that the tight end literally starts running up field before the snap, which is an illegal motion. For those of you who are not as cued into uh, the rules of football, is that the tight end moves in motion from left to right, and he starts running towards the guy he's going to block before the ball is snapped. That is an illegal motion, and they have the audacity to call MJ Alle on a defensive holding on the far side of the field. But he's basically like the uh, right D tackle, yeah. we'll say. And they the guy instantly throws a flag for D holding. Chris Sims said it on it that he's like. This must have been something that Michigan State saw in film, and they told the refs, watch number 68, he's going to hold 
and then the guy just throws the flag. <laughs> yeah. Didn't matter. That was about the only positive play they had in the first half. Yeah. Uh, that 15 yard penalty or 10 yard penalty. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a funny one, though, and it, so much so that, like I said, we had to watch the replay five times in a row because I just couldn't, I couldn't see where they were calling this penalty on him because <laughs> there was such a glaring penalty in front of your face. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Mean, <laughs> meanwhile, like I said, that was about one of the only good plays that they had in the first half, and that front, that front seven for the Huskies looked dominating. Yeah. Speaking of penalties, Huskies again showed. Showed a lot of uh, creativity this week, once again, which I which I loved. Even though you're you're dusting people that you had, you had or dust in Michigan State. You you still had the uh, the fake kneel, which yes, was, that was which really was cool. a, a fun one to watch. And then you went straight down the field after that and like attacked them after your fake kneel with 30 seconds left. Um, you had that and scored a touchdown. Yeah, and scored a touchdown. Uh, you had you had that little. Uh, like counter play that they that they ran once again to the other side this time um, that should have been a touchdown. I think it was basically the same play you ran last week with Colt, but you ran it with the running back this time. And uh, which one? Sorry, which one was that? The one that McMillan got the hold on. That's why I want to say speaking of oh, penalties. Oh yes, yeah, yes, but, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it got called back, but it was still a fantastic. Yeah, they ran play. the screen to Will Nixon. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was right after that. That was right before halftime, also, and it got called back maybe anyway just a, still a lot of creativity and the huskies finally ran my favorite play which all of you fans watch watch for it because i've been talking about it for the last year and this is the real brilliance of ryan grubb and his like drawing up a plays and kaylin DeBoer of their drawing up a place and it's that michael Penix is a left-handed quarterback and so what they like what they do to you is they run a little like play action look Play action is where you fake a handoff to the running back and the quarterback rolls out. And when he rolls out, he rolls out like he's a right-handed quarterback. And so any person in your mind, if you've ever played football, when you see a quarterback rolling out to their right as a right-handed quarterback, in your mind, there's a golden rule of football and for quarterbacks rolling out, and it's never to throw it back to the left side, the side that you that – you, the quarterback is rolling out on. They will always throw it to the right side. All the actions moving to don't the throw right it across side. your body. Don't throw it across your body. And so they give you this like cookie with with Penix, where he's rolling out and he he rolls out like he's a right-handed quarterback, and he even opens up his stance like he's going to throw it right-handed, and then he turns his body left and throws it back the other way to the left side of the field because he's a left-handed quarterback, and they break this golden rule of football all the time they usually do it once or twice a game and it's always a big hitting play and um they finally ran it for the first time this week they ran it a bunch last season and every single time they ran it i'd lose my mind because i love that play so much and they finally ran it this week so i'm excited to see see more of that because it just throws defenses for a loop every time um so it was good to see that that happen this week um trying to think of any other jack westover three touchdowns um, that's that was one of the things we were talking about as well. I guess I'll ask you this question since you've good, been asking. I was going to ask you this question. That's fine. I got <laughs> yeah. Since you've too. been asking me the questions, and it's that uh, is Jack Westover a, an NFL tight end? Yeah, it's funny because I was literally going to ask you that question uh, prior to the game. Uh, I was I asked that question to friend of the show Zol. Shout out Zol. What's up Zol? Is that uh, 
is that I had said basically that is like, do you think that Jack Westover is going to be an NFL tight end for reference is that uh, I actually learned some of this this weekend from the broadcast is that this is a guy who played two games of high school football. He'd been a basketball player his entire high school career. And then I think he played football his senior year, played two games, got hurt. And then he walked on to UW and the guy has been a stud. He, he's, he's more of an H back, yeah. more of like, like a Kyle Juice check for San Francisco kind of plays tight end. He's kind of a fullback, like kind of that in between type of guy. And that's definitely how he started his career at UW. Now he's more of a like split out tight end because he's proven that he is a capable pass catcher. I had posited this to Zoll before the game started that I was like, you think he's going to be an NFL tight end? Like, he's probably going to have over 500 yards receiving and probably like six touchdowns on the year. At the college level, that is a bona fide great season for a tight end. Yeah. We obviously are in a pass-happy offense, but like across the board, that is a really good year. Now, he had one touchdown, I think, coming into the game. And he had three in that one, so that six touchdowns is looking very attainable for the numbers that I was at least throwing out there. Uh, I think and it's it, still early in the year, he's, and it's still he's early. Yeah, three, and he's got four. Now. I think it's almost guaranteed that he will find himself on an NFL roster. He might not be a second or third round pick, but like fourth or fifth. I was actually surprised to hear this. I heard them talking about this on the radio today during the Husky Honks. They have him at 6'3", 250. Really? I don't know if I'd buy that, both height and weight. I feel like he's more like 6'1", like 225, 230. <laughs> That's just how he looks. Yeah. But maybe he is all of 6'3", 250. The guy is crazy talented. He has super good hands. He's a good blocker. He's actually a good runner, too. Like, yeah, once he gets like the said, ball in his hands, he's... Bat- He's Early in his joke. career, he was more of a full, like they would put him in at fullback and let him run those short yardage. And I, I can't remember if I said this to you off off the podcast or on the podcast, is that if you're struggling to run the ball short yardage, I would consider putting Jack Westover in because he has a proven track record that that guy knows how to run the ball in third and one. He did it a lot his first couple years in the program where we ran more eye formation. He would get it on a fullback dive. Yeah. Not really translate to the NFL, but it does just speak to like his overall ability as a player. Get him in the Wildcat. Why not? Yeah. Um, I think it's fairly guaranteed outside of a major injury that he will be drafted. Probably more like a fifth round guy at best. Almost no matter how good of a season he has. I feel like it's more... Yeah, he's undersized. Well, at 6'3", 250, I'd say he's not undersized. Yeah, I just enough. don't know that I believe that, yeah. those roster stats. Like, that sounds yeah. like some high school <laughs> high yeah. school roster numbers. They're like, yeah. like oh, we'll add an inch and a half in height and 30 pounds of weight, and you're good to yeah. go, dude. What What do you want your weight to be? I'm like, oh, 250, that sounds good. I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Yeah. But he's yeah, got soft hands. I, don't know I mean, I think he only had three catches in the game, and they're all for touchdowns. Yeah. But I think that's correct. He definitely finds himself in very positive situations, as you would hope, because yeah, between so between Adunze, McMillan, Polk, Jeremy Bernard, they haven't even really shown Denzel Boston or Tayshawn Lyons, who did get in there 
I think he dropped a ball that turned into a pick for uh, Dylan Morris. But there's so much talent at wide receivers that Westover should be the guy that really just gets the, you see it, three catches, three touchdowns. It's because when you get that close to the goal line, it's like you really have to buckle down on their top players. And you basically just see him kind of running wide open. That one, t- the touchdown right before half, uh, after they did the fake yeah, he got He got one, hit. And he got hit and he showed that he's in. got athleticism and carried got, two he defenders. He got hit on the first one too, but no, yeah. he wasn't getting tackled. Carries two, carries two defenders into the end zone. Like the guy's kind of a beast. Yeah, but might work for I think him. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna find a spot on an NFL roster. That's my answer. Like I said, you kind of you kind of jacked my question there because I I want to throw I want to throw it to you, but luckily I was prepared. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Huskies improved to three and zero. That was definitely the crown jewel of the season so far. But yeah, receiving Pat- core also looked pretty spectacular throughout the day, just yeah. in general. Not, they always do. They yeah, they usually do, but there were a couple pretty pretty ridiculous catches in that game that were usually usually I count on like one of those a game, you know, but there was three or four of them it seemed like that were pretty spectacular catches, which was fun to watch. Let's let's move on to their next game. They got their first Pac-12 first Pac-12 game of the season. You got Cal. It's a home game. It's a 7.30 kickoff. I think the opening line, maybe maybe you have it in front of you. I think the dogs are favored upwards of 20 points. Kind of just riffing off the top of my head because uh, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Huskies, though, Huskies, though, have been in this position before. Big, big favorites over Cal. Cal has been the, like, Achilles heel of the Huskies for the last five years. Yeah. Every year the Huskies come in as big favorites against them. And again, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I was trying to find them on my phone, but I, I couldn't. They're 21 point favorites. 21 point favorites. Huskies. Huskies have basically, what are they, three and two against Cal in the last five years? And I think last year we beat them like 28 to 14. And that was off of like a couple late scores for the Huskies. Like, it was a one-score game going into the fourth quarter. Like uh, Justin Wilcox, their head Wilcox coach, Wilcox is the coach, defensive mind. He former defensive coordinator under Sark for the Huskies. Familiarity between these programs. Cal always gives us a tough time. Yeah, well, Cal's gonna come in trying to play defense and run the ball and bleed the clock on us and make it a make it a, try to make it not a track meet. So I'll be curious to see. I don't know anything about this Cal defense this year, um, other than let's see they've they've held their opponents to twenty one points against. Um, I assume that's University of North Texas, um, ten points. Oh no, sorry, fourteen points for Auburn and seventeen points for Idaho. Idaho scoring seventeen. Said seventeen for Auburn. Uh, yeah, seventeen for Auburn and seventeen for Idaho. That's, well, so I, I guess I don't know what to take from that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 17, seven, or, uh, sorry, 14 points, Auburn. They lost 14-10, their only loss on the year. Either way, I assume their defense is going to be good and prepared because it's Justin Wilcox, and that is kind of his calling card. And no matter what the Huskies' offense has been in the past, Cal usually come – Wilcox 
usually comes prepared to play against UW's offense. I expect no different <laughs> uh, situation here. Outside of that, though, I don't know what kind of horses they, they're bringing. I, I know they got that Ott kid at running back. Yeah, he was f- freshman running back freshman last running year. Back he's, last he's talented. Year. He, he's talented. He's got... Uh, I expect him to get 30 carries in this game, assuming, I would, I would assuming the Huskies well. don't just boat race him early. Yeah, he's got 40 carries for 270 yards and three touchdowns on the season. Pretty decent average there. Uh, their quarterback has is 32 for 47 for 329 yards and one touchdown. One Who is hit. playing quarterback for him? Uh, Finley. Bum. All right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this guy, yeah. I mean, I assume. At least he, before they had Garbers, like somebody, uh, maybe this kid's fine. I don't know. Maybe he'll humble me. But before they had uh, the Garbers brother, yeah. that at least he was knew, at least his na- knew his yeah. name. But. Uh, this guy is a NC State transfer, it appears. Hmm. Um, don't know much about him, like I said, but I can't imagine he's that great. I don't know if you can tell. I haven't done a lot of game prep on this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. That's yeah. why it's a preview. Yeah. Uh, but I think, uh, like I said, I think defense will be defense will be well prepared, and it's going to have some decent dudes on there. Well, so it it might be one of the uh, tougher defenses you'll face. The entire the entire uh, Pac-12 slate just because it's Justin Wilcox and he always finds a way. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if this is the first game that you really see Penix in the in the passing offense get a little humbled. Not for the entire game, no. But you might see some drives where it's just like incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. Like, wow, what happened there is like, well. Wilcox knows how to scheme them up and like they had answers to all of our tricks and con concepts, which is why, again, like I said, it was encouraging to see Dylan Johnson in the run game get going a little bit because this feels very much like the type of game that Wilcox will come prepared with his defense. They will have some answers to our passing attack. That's where you need to, find a way to switch things up and be like, all right, they're dropping six every time we need to, we need to take our, we need to take our medicine here, run the ball, yeah. try, try to move things along. And it will be a real test for them. At the end of the day, I think the Huskies like much like the game last year kind of ends up being a war of attrition. It's a little cagey early. And then eventually like the Huskies are just better. They have better talent out wide they have better talent up front on the offensive line. Things just start to move. You end up winning the game. Yeah, that's good. I don't know. I, like I said, I think I would still take Cal. On, at 20, you said 21 and a half? 21, I believe. I think I would take Cal to cover that spread. It might be one of those games that it's like never close. Like Huskies go up 17 to 7 at halftime, score a touchdown. They're up 24 to 7. And then like the clock just kind of bleeds down and... Cal scores a late touchdown again to make it like 28 14 or, or, yeah. you know, so, something like that. Something like that. I don't, don't know how the I'm math exactly adds up, but they just kind of slow the game down and keep it close and then score a garbage time touchdown to cover. I'll go 35 17. There's my number. Yeah, that's a, that's a good score. Well, since I've been wrong, I think every week, I'm just going to go, how about 
52-14. After everything I just said. Yeah. Why not? KG game. Barely <laughs> yeah, exactly. can get out of it. I've been, <laughs> I've been so wrong on all of my bets that I feel like after I just say all that, I need to predict the opposite. Yeah, fair but enough. I do think there's some value in the sense that I had said this uh, before the Boise State game, and it definitely seems like it's true now. Cal, honestly, is probably... Well, Michigan State probably would have been the biggest measuring stick, but now I'll say Cal is the big. Yeah. Well, it's Pac-12 play. It's, is it that changes up a little DeBoer bit. is the type of coach that I have a lot of faith in, that it's like, we're a college football playoff team. We are ready every week. There is no, like, celebrating that we went on the road and beat a shitty Michigan State team. There is no being like, oh, this is a, like, we are looking ahead to the next week or, you know. Uh, yeah. Like any of you're that. never gonna have that excuse. It's just... yeah that it's like DeBoer's. I feel like is very much the type of coach that it's like every game is the biggest game we played. Stay ready. There is no like mailing it in, and they've shown it so far through three games that it's like we will just uh, pedal to the metal every game. Yeah, and they've shown that, and so I do think there's a very good chance that the Huskies will just continue to do that until they play. A team that Someone is who can't legitimately them. good enough to stop them. And I do think Cal has some qualities in their game that will yeah. frustrate the Huskies. But at the end of the day, like maybe yeah. it's close can, a little I bit I can early. still see, uh, despite the fact that I said their defense is going to be ready, <laughs> I can still see the scenario that you just, or you're just you calling out to that it's like, we just boat race them because we're better. And we got better horses. Yeah. And it's just going to, it's much like Michigan State. It's like you can... Yeah, their best player was their running back, just like Cal. Their best player is their running back. You want to know how you make them not use their best player? Score twenty eight in the you first go, quarter. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, that's go, how they, go up yeah. three scores in the first quarter. Yeah, and then make them one dimensional, and then your defense looks really good. Yeah, oh, throat's getting scratchy. I don't have enough beer. So in summation, uh, if I remember correctly, I think I have the dogs fifty two fourteen. Even though I said it was going to be a close game. Uh, I went the opposite direction. Nigel, what was your score prediction? 35-17. 35-17. All right. Uh, go to your bookie, lay the lumber, <laughs> whichever way you see fit. Uh, I think I've been wrong on every one of my predictions this year, but this is get right week. It's back, it's back to football. Uh, yeah, we're, we got to be in mid-season form now. All, the tailgate's got to be in mid-season form. Your betting's got to be in mid-season form. Get it right. All right, switching gears a little bit here. Uh, a lot of NFL action this past weekend. A lot of injuries. A lot of injuries happened. I'm sure a lot of you watched the Monday Night Football doubleheader, which we could talk about that a little bit more in a second. What a fucking snoozer. But <laughs> what, what, what wasn't a snoozer was the fact that uh, Nick Chubb got hurt. Gruesome injury. Horrible to see. Don't look uh, it up on Twitter if, yeah, if you're squeamish. Don't look it up. Uh a lot of other running back injuries. Saquon Barkley got hurt. Uh, Austin Eckler got hurt. Week one, but still nursing the injury. Yep. Um, Anthony Richardson got hurt. Might as well be a running back. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. He ran in two touchdowns, and on his second touchdown run, he got hurt on that one. He got a concussion. So, you know, it's early in the season, but a lot of people are getting hurt. Big conversation in the offseason was – running backs and contracts and already you're kind of seeing this weird space where a lot of the guys that were a part of these talks uh unfortunately are kind of 
proving why they don't want to give contracts to these people and they're getting hurt. Uh, initial thoughts on the injury report so far through two weeks of the NFL season, Nigel. Um, number one, I'll say I feel horrible for Nick Chubb because to go on that, uh, especially the contract situation, I feel like he is the guy that as a as a fan of football, um, gotta love the dude, and he's the one that is not you know. You never hear about his his contract issues. Shows up to work, lunch pail type of guy. Basically, he really he really he, is a lunch pail yeah, guy. Lunch pail guy shows up, does his job great every single week. Um, has I assume he's gotten a decent contract at this point now? But it was like, three years, thirty six million. Three years, thirty six million. So he I got, heard I heard this today on the radio though. This is that uh, I don't want to jump the ship a little bit, but just for context, is that. If he never plays in the NFL again, he'll be at $34 million career earnings. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think it's enough yeah. for a guy of his caliber, yeah. but continue. But, but just given the the state of the running back room that you're talking about, like that seems like that is a good amount. Um, so, yeah, for but I feel horrible for Chubb because he's the guy that's kind of like the – if he was on my team, if he was the Seahawk, I would love that guy so much because he just goes out there, does it, earns every penny. You don't hear about it. He doesn't complain about it. He's not out there uh, beating people or anything, like getting in trouble off the field. I shouldn't say shouldn't go straight to domestic <laughs> DV cases, but it seems like these running backs have a penchant for it, Alvin Kamara and others. Uh, so yeah, He might I, be replaced <laughs> by Kareem Hunt. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can exactly. see why you would go there. Yeah, so... Um, hate, hate to see that gruesome injury. Um, also just, uh, I, I, along with the topic of it being a contract situation, big for fantasy football implications too. Um, I think that was, that's kind of been a big thing in like a shift in fantasy football this year is like before you'd always just pick the best running backs, you know, your first round is just every great running back is off the board. And now it's so risky to do that because most of these guys are, pretty much guaranteed to miss three or four weeks every single season, if not more. Um, I took McCaffrey second overall, which I'm still worried about because he's another one that's injury prone in his career. And so it's just a, it's an interesting shift and it's a bummer. It's a bummer for the running backs (laughs) because uh, we've talked about this a little bit, but it's like, it's how I like to watch football. Like I love like we just we just got done talking about the Huskies and Penix throwing the ball for 500 yards in the first half, which is awesome. But really, my like real love of football is when it's like defensive team that runs the ball and effectively runs. And I think at the end of the day, the most successful teams have great running backs. And so it's a it's just kind of a weird space right now. And you got to really pick and choose your running back correctly, I guess. And not spend too much, but you got to have good ones and spend some money. So I, I guess I don't envy the uh, the GMs and figuring out that correct combination of that. Other injuries, uh, AR-15, I'll talk about him real quick because he's also on my fantasy team. Uh, really in a pinch, I think, for myself uh, about AR-15 because I just don't know what to do with him. Because he when he's in there, he's going to be – He's going to be fantastic. He's going to get rushing touchdowns. He's going to get enough yards to make him manageable, you know, as a quarterback play. But it's really the rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. So I'm I'm still, like, 
it's early on in his career, but now two games into his career, he's left the game twice with injuries. I I don't know I don't know where to where to go with it right now. I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah, on the Nick Chubb front, that is honestly an injury that actually bums me out very emotionally because I have no rooting interest in the Browns. But he's definitely one of those guys that like watched a ton in college, saw him get hurt in college with a kind of brought Georgia to prominence. Yeah. You know, or back to prominence. He's from like like you said, he's very much a lunch pail guy. He came from a tiny, tiny town. Again, I'm riffing off the top of my head. I need a stat corrector here, but isn't he from like Chubbville? Yeah. It's a yeah, it's a town where he like his family like was was uh, came from slavery originally, and I think were were freed and started their own township more or less. Their exactly. whole family is also NFL and like professional athletes. Don't stat check this, but I believe you're right. <laughs> yeah. well, I that, feel like they've run that that before on on previous yeah, things with him. Like he when comes he from drafted. he comes from a small town. Like he's a small town guy. Goes to Georgia even before Georgia is the national power that they are. He even played behind like Sony Michelle. Sonny Michelle was the star running back at Georgia while he was there. And he's obviously a good player. He was a good NFL player. Not nearly the caliber of player that Chubb is. He's just one of those guys that like puts his head down and goes to work. Feel really bad for the guy that this is you get your Monday night game and this is the type of injury you get. It I'm not a doctor. This might be the type of injury with all of the contract uh, stuff with running backs that might end his effectively end his career. He might still play, but it seems like he's not going to be a premier running back because they just won't give him the money. Yeah, I was talking about this. With I'll some never, da- I'll never doubt a talent like him. Yeah, I was talking about this with some coworkers today. I hope he just comes back and has like a Frank Gore type career at this point, where he can just go be a bowling ball somewhere and just like grind out some yards and maybe play 10 games a year for somebody as a backup, like plays in spots, you know, and Adrian, maybe he'll come back and be, a, be a stud still. Adrian Peterson had a similar thing too, where yeah. he was, he was the dude for a handful of years and then tore his ACL and everybody wrote him off. And then he came back and had almost 2000 yards rushing. Maybe he did get 2000. I can't remember, <laughs> yeah. but he MVP MVP type year. And continue to be a stud for a handful of years. I wouldn't put it past Nick Chubb, but that was really hard to watch because, like, he is one of the easiest guys to root for in the NFL. Like, he truly is one of the uh, good guys and easy to root for type of players in the NFL. Yeah. And seeing that is like, man, yeah. that's heartbreaking. It it's tough too because I it going back to the contract thing that you posed at the beginning it's tough because i can see it from both perspectives where it's like if i was a running if i'm jonathan taylor and i'm one of the best running backs in the league i'm like i want a contract because i could go out there tomorrow and that could be my knee (laughs) and so i'm not that's why you want to get paid exactly so i want to get i want some assurances because i that could be my knee same with barkley (laughs) it's like he goes out and luckily it sounds like his his stuff was negative and he's uh, probably has a, a bad ankle sprain of some sort. And so, like, he will pr- hopefully come back this season still. But it's like, these guys just, it's so easy to have someone roll up on you when you're around 
10 to 12, 300 pounders <laughs> coming at you and getting tackled every single play. And so I can see it from their perspective, why they want to be paid. Um, and as much as the Browns are a terrible organization, I mean, they did pay him and like, so we, you know, he didn't have to go through that, through that, uh, you know, waiting period or trying to, you know, trying to, uh, sit out to be paid. But Hey, I, I just, uh, I feel, I feel horrible for the guy. It's got it's, it's brutal. I do think that this is really going, I hope that it will really be the, uh, kind of like call to action to the NFL that, that they, need to do something it doesn't need to be position specific uh mls already has this as their designated player that they have like we'll say three i'll throw out three players that are designated players that, that do not of the salary cap. that do not affect the salary cap and you can choose to use that on a quarterback a running back a wide receiver a d end edge rusher that's probably what most people would use it for right like those handful of positions but you will create these designated player spots where you can pay these people so that running backs won't get underpaid moving forward yeah and the team can still have assurances that their salary cap won't be affected by underpaying overpaying like in certain positions and that would be the solution, I think, to protecting those types of players. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great idea. Um, one more thing, real quick, on the injury front before we move forward. I just remember this as we were talking about <laughs> talking about the injuries. Did you see the report that came out? I believe it was today or yesterday that uh, the NFLPA had sent out a report to all all the players or all the running backs in particular that if they have any injury, they should milk it basically and make it seem like it's much worse than it actually is. Did you see I, that? I, I did see that there was some sort of grievance filed. Yeah. I'm that, curious to see how, what plays out with that. Cause it seems a little shady by, by them, but also I understand, again, I understand their point. They're trying to get their guys paid, but uh, going about it in that way, it's like, I wonder if there's any, anything to that with with uh, some of these early injuries in week one or two. It's like, hey, I could probably go out there and play, but my ankle hurts, and so I'm the NFLPA has instructed me to take three weeks off because that's going to help my fellow brethren get paid, which seems like a little collusion going on there. So I'll be curious to see, see that play out a little bit, but I think it's still early on and there's not a lot of details with it, but that seems like a big, big thing coming (laughs) coming up. It seems like a big accusation considering the fact that I would never doubt the severity of any of these players injuries. Also true. Also true. We're not I mean, talking about Sean Alexander here. We're talking. We're, yeah, we're, we're talking about. But you, but when you have, if you have incentive as a group to be like, if we're all hurt, like they have to. It's I mean it's collective bargaining thing, but in a injury sense. But you're like we're all hurt, so like you need to pay us so that we're. Not, it also could go the opposite way where they're like, we're just not going to pay any of you because you're all hurt all the time. Yeah, but, I just find it hard to believe that like who. Who are you citing in this? Because you're obviously not citing Nick Chubb. Like that dude. Yeah. That dude's knee is completely exploded. So like, 
That's not somebody you're talking about. Are you talking I'm, about I'm thinking, Saquon? I'm saying more. Are you like, talking about Saquon Barkley because he also came out like at a critical part in the game. I have no doubt that yeah, he I think left the, the game I think because the he's injured, not because no, he's trying I'm, to. I'm not saying necessarily in game. I'm saying I think the competitor and all these guys that in game like that's not a thing. I'm thinking it's more along the lines of, hey, you hurt your ankle week one and it was pretty severe. Like you don't like there's. You don't need to incentivize yourself to get back out there quickly because we're going to try to get like we're going to try to strike up these deals for you guys later later on that they're they're taking this into account and still going to be paying you. So like if you feel iffy in 3 weeks, sit out and wait till the 5th week or you know something like that. I think that's more along the lines of what I would expect is like if you're on the on the borderline, don't go play go sit out that extra two weeks so that you're so that you're actually good because that's just going to help our cause that's where my mind's at with it either way i i think it's too early to tell and i don't want to get too much into the weeds on it yet because there's it's a new report but i'm just kind of curious about it you know to kind of look at going forward in the future weeks here and and as we move on through the season yeah to put a bow on that i mean my personal thoughts are that like Teams should want their best players in there. So at, at the end of the day, like much, much to jump off of what I already said about like the designated player thing is that they got to find a way that incentivizes both the player and the team. That it's like, we need our best players out there. Yeah. And the players know that too. Yeah. Right. Like from a competitive standpoint, like the players want to be out there to win games for their team. I can get that there is some sort of, like balance that it's like, yeah, well, we also need to get paid. But at the end of the day, it's like both the team and the player want the same thing. So you got to find a way to like manufacture a balance between the two of them. That it's like, we want to incentivize our players to play. Not while they're extremely injured, obviously, <laughs> yeah. but like we got to find a way that we can assure our top end talent that they will be paid but not pressing themselves too hard. At the end of the day, I think it's all going to get sorted out, and I don't think players are faking injuries. Transitioning to Seahawks, they go on the road to Detroit. Definitely a game that the two of us picked them to lose, which, again, as we had referenced before, I'll just bet against anything that we pick. <laughs> that, seems, that seems like the, uh, the winning formula right now, but... Seahawks go ahead. Uh, they travel to Detroit. They win in overtime. Pretty pretty big win for the Hawks. I thought that was a huge win for the Hawks. They they needed it big time. You got to bounce back after that week one loss. Really, I think that that's one when it when this when it's all said and done. You kind of at the beginning of the season, you kind of count your count your wins, count your losses. You know, I think you. When you were doing that at the beginning of the season, you probably counted the Rams as a win. You probably counted Detroit on the road as a loss. I definitely would have. Exactly. I think both of us did. I think most people would be like, "That's going to be a close game," but like, you 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 might lose that one, and like that gets you to your eleven and six or you know ten and seven, whatever we decided on. So you really needed to win that one to like kind of get it back and get back on track to where you thought you were going to be. Um, that. That Lions team is no joke. You know, we talked about that on the preview that they just beat the the uh, defending champs the week before. They're they've got a great offense. They've got studs out there. They got a good defense as well. 
And somehow the Seahawks like goodish defense. Yeah, goodish defense. Uh, they played their defense played pretty well against the Chiefs, and I think they're you know they're young, but they're talented. But Seahawks go out there, find a way to win. That was kind of a it seemed like a classic kind of Pete Carroll game that it was like ugly and beautiful at the same time. <laughs> like a lot of things that you like scratch your head and you're like, what is going on? And they're just just giving up yards left and right. And then the next thing you know, it's like pick six. And so it was it was just kind of a it, it seemed like just a classic Pete Carroll special there for anarchy chaos heart attack hawk ball in my opinion yeah i thought one thing and we kind of talked about this while we were watching the game is that i thought it's interesting because again we had said this before in the last in the last podcast about the game against the rams is that you kind of expect this team to be or i expected the team to be a lot more run centric control the clock Ideally, play really good defense, similar to old school Pete Carroll Seahawks football. They clearly have a game plan against Detroit because we we played them last year. In a Gino type of game, yeah. And Gino had one of his best games of the season last year, passing the ball. And they came out again this year, and Ken Walker was actually pretty effective in a handful of his carries, but especially rolling into the second half is that the Hawks just kind of came out and threw the ball every time. So they clearly have a game plan against the Lions that says their secondary is suspect. Yeah, We're just going to throw the ball because it was very one-sided pass to run. Yeah. They really got the tight ends involved in the passing game too, which was, I think the Rams must think that we're going to run the ball constantly, which we kind of showed that it ran a lot of two tight end personnel and like kind of a lot of running formations um, that we passed out of. Disley had a good game. Noah Fant, he's on the team. Did you know that? <laughs> were you, he looked pretty were, good in that yeah, game. So were you aware? Cause he, he was out there making catches and making plays. Like I thought, I thought he had a nice game. Even Colby Parkinson got a couple catches, like another guy that kind of disappointing last year. I, like both him and Fant disappointing in their touches last year. I thought both those guys were going to be really big parts of the team with, uh, um, uh, what I can't think of our OC's name right now, but, um, with our Waldron, Waldron, thank you with Waldron at the helm. Like it seemed like that was going to be a big part of the game plan and they didn't really end up being that, but, um, I, I was happy to see them get involved. Um, I thought Ken Walker looked, looked great when he got the ball. Especially in the first half, he was he yeah he was really limited really to the first half. Runs. Yeah, he he definitely didn't have as many carries in the second half. But they also were getting Charbonnet in there a little bit. He had a couple runs. They he I think Walker had effective runs when he did get the ball in the second half, which was important. But definitely not not as much of a workload for sure. DK had a pretty good game. Lockett had a bounce back had game. a great game Lockett had a bounce back game i think we kind of called him out after that first game that he had he was horrible and i think a lot of people were calling him out and he comes back and has one of his better games and that i can remember in a long time probably since that thursday night rams game like two years ago or whatever color rush where he, he went off so um yeah offensively offensively looked looked uh pretty good at times I still really want to see Smith and Jigba get involved. 
It doesn't seem that was like one of my biggest question doesn't marks. Doesn't seem seem like they figured out how to get him involved in the offense yet, which is crazy to me because <laughs> he just seems like such a talent. Maybe it's just we don't have the ability to get the ball to a third receiver. That's been a problem for the Seahawks for a long time, but still really like to see him get involved um, one way or another. It just seems like I don't I don't know if they're just not drawing up the plays for him. Every time they get him the ball, it's like. They got him. They got him a zero-yard pass. I think a couple of times in that game, and it's like he squirted squirted out for six, seven yards each time. It's like let's run that. That's basically a run play, you know. And so, I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure what the deal with that is, but yeah, I I probably not probably. I am just kind of a Geno hater, <laughs> and so it'll probably come across that way. Is that Geno had a really good game statistically? But that entire game is still like, I don't have the, I'm not giving you X's and O's type of analysis here. There was just a lot of times, though, that it just really felt like he ended up with completions. But it's just kind of like, what is the play here? Yeah. What, what, like, what is happening? And like, every once in a while, it's just kind of like, drop back, bang, bang, like, execution, like, on a high level, like, DK catch, tile locket catch. There's just a lot, though, in between there. And this is where I feel like Jackson Smith and Jigba is, like, missing out to, like, follow up what you're saying. It's just, like, where is the, like, smoothness of execution? Yeah. It just, it seemed like it was lacking there. And honestly, to shift the conversation a little bit, is that it's, like, big question marks coming into the game. You got Curran and uh, Forsyth playing right tackle and left tackle. You're missing your starting two guys. I actually think they did pretty well. They had a great game, I thought. They had, yeah. they had a whole week to prepare. I actually thought that they looked really well or played really well as backup backup tackles. So that's not an excuse for anything that's going on. Yeah, Aiden Hutchinson was was neutralized that entire game. Yeah. I mean, Lions fans will bitch about the last play of the game, but like whatever, they can have it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, if I he'd have care. been a bigger part of the game, maybe he gets the hold. Yeah, maybe. That. But maybe, I, yeah, but, I thought he yeah. was neutralized that. Whole yeah, game. no, I thought I thought the young tackles did a pretty good job, and that was definitely a question mark going into the game. And I think they uh, really rose up to the occasion. Agreed. But there's there's definitely still in my mind, like I said, I'm just being a smarmy asshole because I don't like Gino. That it's like age. The offense was still so disjointed throughout the game. And a big part of that is because of the fact that I feel like they just didn't run the ball that much. Yeah. It just came out and passed it basically the entire, especially in the second half. Yeah. It was very one-dimensional. And I didn't really understand that. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know why why the Seahawks think that Gino is a, a guy that deserves uh, that many pass attempts. He's... he's uh, he had a good game, but I think that he also had some of the moments in that game that would show you the opposite side of Geno. In the one in particular being at the end of regulation. That really that, drive, that really spoke like really, to yeah, really like kind of encompasses my feeling of Geno. It's like try it's like trying to play hero ball when you're not you're not that guy. <laughs> yeah, on the on this team. Like there's other the other there's other guys that, that are the pieces that you need to get the ball into their hands whether that's Ken Walker, whether that's DK, whether that's Lockett, whether that, you know, whoever it is, I can name a bunch of other guys, but it just seems like Gino was trying to play a little hero ball there at the end. That being said, the the overtime drive, 
He really looked good. sharp. Looked good. Like yeah. no problem. Spun it. Like was decisive. So it he, he just kind of he goes both ways there a little bit. It feels like where he has moments where he just seems awful, and then moments where he executes really well. So I don't know. I'm a Gino hater too. So easy to jump on that <laughs> jump on that train. But we we've made we've made this comparison before. And I feel like this last game was a prime example of it to some to some degree of Gino and and Kirk Cousins that it's like it's it seemed like that sack that he took run, running backwards and losing all those yards. It very much felt like the Kirk Cousins type of play that it's like you've put up good stats all game. I think if you watch the game with a, you know, with a microscope you would say like these numbers aren't really indicative of how well he's played. Cause he, he hasn't played that well. Yeah. Like he's missed a lot. Like there's been a lot of dud drives in here. He just needs to make a normal ass play to like keep the drive going. You just need to run the ball. <laughs> that's like, part of it too. That's that. I, and and I maybe that's like, not his fault. Yeah, exactly. I, and maybe that's, that, maybe that's, that's the what offensive I'm kinda, coordinator. That's what I'm kind of curious about with it is because he's being asked to do stuff that I don't think is, is uh, putting him in the position to succeed. It's like, but then, I think you should have run the ball or and I know that's like boring, boring football, run, run, pass, punt. But it's like in that situation, it seemed like that was the appropriate thing to do is you had decent enough field position. You, you got a first down on like the first, I feel like the first play of that drive. So you got to like the 30 something yard line then you had a penalty that that brought you back. Or you got a sack maybe that brought you back. I think we were already at like second or third. And You're talking about the last 15. drive. The of- last drive of regulation. Yeah. And so it's like they had two timeouts and the two-minute warning. I don't think we got a first down on that one. Maybe we didn't get a first down. But he had we- a 17-yard loss and it brought us back. To I think we went pass, pass, line. pass. <laughs> including that sure. horrendous yeah. sack yeah. on third down that put us inside our own five-yard line. Yeah, either way, the last I I think you should have run the ball to try to if you want so to set up that if you wanted to pass, it was going to be a third and short and they had no timeouts left. You know, yeah. that's in my mind what you probably should have done. Instead, you tried to guess you tried to ice the game, try to go get the first down and and do it with on by Gino's arm, and I don't know if that's the the key to success for for you as a team i yeah, think that, that play that's the time that it, you, ken walker's run the ball well all game you put the ball in his hands and say go go win us the game or you know go get yeah in my mind that was the, that's the play there that's that's the type of play that revisionist history like we win the game in overtime so i don't know that it's getting that type of attention yeah but it's like that was the play that gave them the ball starting position over the 50-yard line, basically 10 yards away from from field goal range. From field goal range, we're up 3 points. That whole drive is like horrible. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. And then the the icing on the cake is Gino trying to scramble and make a play when it's like all he has to do after he breaks that first tackle is take one step to his left and throw the ball out of bounds. And you're probably in decent enough punting yeah. range. 
Instead, you take a 17-yard loss on the play. Yeah. Punt out of out of the back of your own end zone. They walk one first down up and then kick a field goal, go to overtime. Now we won the game and it is a good win. Yeah. So it was a much needed win. That shouldn't be yeah, that shouldn't be lost in all of this, but it really is the type of play that it's like Seahawks go lose that game. I think there is a much different tone to the conversation about uh, Gino's, Gino's performance, which again yeah. on paper looked really good, but much like my Kirk uh, Kirk Cousins comparison earlier, that's that's why Kirk Cousins has this label. Yeah, is that he puts up great numbers typically through quarters one through three, and then when the game's on the line, he fucks up. Yeah, and that's kind of what Gino tried to do. He got bailed out because they at least got to overtime. Drew Locke goes out there, fucking steal balls and wins wins the toss, gets the <laughs> gets the kickoff. MVP. And then and then this and then Gino and the Seahawks actually looked really good on that drive, you know. And 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 they win the game. At the end of the day, I'm not gonna complain about a win, but I do think that there are highs and lows to Gino's game within the game. Yeah. That say a lot transitioning to the defense they had again they had some ups and downs i think this detroit defense or sorry detroit detroit offense offense is talented is really good yeah and so i think they actually did a pretty good job in the most part for the most part they're they're gonna beat you they're gonna beat you in some ways i thought the addition of devin witherspoon yeah, Spoon Spoon had a good game. I kind of wanted to lead off with that and forgot, but yeah, Spoon's first game was was good. He got he got exposed a little bit on that on that flea flicker, which he's an aggressive player. They all so, got exposed. Yeah, exactly. Everyone got exposed, but he that's probably his guy, his deep third there, and he's an aggressive player. Got caught with his eyes in the backfield, going to try to make a play on the run game. I'm sure he'll learn from that and uh, they'll watch the film and make sure that doesn't happen again. But overall had a couple of huge pass breakups on third downs or just like, or great positioning. Yeah. Great, (laughs) great tight defense that uh, tripping over someone's foot. Um, They they called him on a ticky tack PI on one of those third downs that he got a pass. I thought that was a horrible call. Agreed. I thought that was a bad call. Totally unbiased uh, on our parts horrible call uh but yeah overall i thought he had a really good game defensive line can i think i saw that they're averaging 2.6 yards per rush right now against them which is significantly better than last year i think it's it's number one in the nfl right now that's not going to be sustainable which is fine i understand that but just like seeing that improvement overall is nice i still think they've got room to improve there too I think the linebackers have some room to improve on on tackling or like getting in there. See, there's a couple plays where we still we've got linebackers like 15 yards off the ball in coverage, and I think we also got lucky on uh, that little Jameer Gibbs angle route that uh, Goff just threw it straight to Trey Brown. Throw. So, um, but also you know we got lucky uh, earlier yeah, in the yeah, game too. We, <laughs> Gibbs Gibbs ran another one of those. Where he was out wide and ran an angle route and he dropped it. Yeah, that probably would have been an easy twenty yards because nobody was covering him. But that's the NFL, like yeah. And it, you take your wins when you can get them. And realistically, at that point in the game, Seahawks were up by three when we got the pick six. 
we should have had two field goals on top of that. So you should have been up. That's by, a whole other conversation. Yeah, you should have been. You should have been up by by even more than that at that point. So when you look at it that way, it's like, if if that was the case and you were up by 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 nine at that point, all all other things the same, and then you take that house, like all of a sudden that game is over. That's the that's the the game winning play. So I think that there, you know, as much as we shit on Gino there, like he also got hurt a little bit by some unlucky uh, special team situations and bat, like horrible kicks. The, the, the 50 plus yarder at the end of the half is, you know, that guys are going to miss those. It was pretty close. The first one that was like a 45 yarder, like that should be it. That should be a chip shot for Jason Meyer. And that ball was, that was not even close. So that one, you know, a little concerning, although Jason Meyer has been good. So every, every kicker has a bad game here and there. I'm not going to, lose my mind over that but i think if you if those are kicks that he usually usually makes and he makes those that game could have been a nearly a blowout at that point when the seahawks go up by 16 if you're up or you give those additional six points so yeah it, kind of a just, like i said just kind of a weird weird game where it felt like we played horrible but we also could have been ahead by a lot at the end of it and you got you got the pick six you got the turnover on the first first play or second play of the second half um yeah, and Wosu, and Wosu like strip. continues to be a, a freaking star on that team he, he's earning every penny that he got this offseason on that contract like he seems like whenever the Seahawks need a play he's the one that that gives it to you but Jordan Brooks had a had a couple good, like he had a good big time blitz on the one that uh Witherspoon trips the dude but it's an overthrow anyway I don't think even if he doesn't trip the guy it was going to be caught because Brooks was in the backfield and wreaking havoc. Daryl Taylor's on the team. I still don't think he. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's about as yeah. high praise you can get. Yeah, he's on. The I team. see him. He's got a jersey on. Yeah, you know who else is apparently on the team is Draymond Jones. Wouldn't know it. I haven't seen him make a, any plays. That's a yet. really good point. I haven't I've, seen him touch anybody on the field yet. I'm sure I he has. I but... could not tell you what number he wears because I haven't seen. Exactly. I watched the game. Normally, you know what numbers players wear because you at least see them on the TV broadcast. I could not tell you what number Draymond Jones wears because I have not seen him. Even just like walking back to the huddle. Yeah. Which is pretty shocking. Couldn't tell you. Yeah. Because Jaron Reed's been making plays. I've yeah, seen I him see out Jaron there. Jaron Reed. I see Mario. <laughs> yeah, Mario. Mario Edwards. Yeah, Mario Edwards. Mario Edwards had, had, had a, couple, a couple big plays. Yeah. Even uh, Cameron Young, the guy we drafted, uh, I think, from uh, Mississippi State. I saw him in the game. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. I see I see that guy playing. Yeah. Uh, Switching gears slightly, too, in that game is that you bring up a good point that, like, you get away with some stuff here is that uh, Reek Wollen even got hurt in that game. Yeah. And I don't know what his injury status is at this point. Have it, have I heard it. he's supposed to – he's – supposed to be back i think he's questionable at the moment but i think he they're projecting he'll be back okay um you also had dk miss a a portion of that game with some kind of rib injury um i was happy to see he he came back in that game because he was a big part of it coming down the stretch like he was another nice thing dk DK, had a nice bounce back dk had a really good game in that it wasn't like the most impressive he he had big catches and also like 
got extra yards but didn't try to do too much. Like, because yeah. he's been guilty of that sometimes where he tries to do too much and fumbles or whatever. Like, he got it. He got the, the extra yards after contact, but got down, like, held on to the ball. Like, he, he was level-headed, you know? Like, all yeah. the things that we kind of dogged him on last week. Like, I thought he had a really Yeah, I need to see really it two nice weeks game. in a row, though, because yeah. he's got... That's kind of his calling card, though, is that, like, you act out of pocket one game, you come back the next game, you're very composed, and then that goes out the window... Yeah, so yeah. so we'll we'll see it. We'll see where he's at. But I thought he had a, I thought he had a nice, I thought he had a nice game. Um, also, a big turning point in that game was uh, when Montgomery went down too. That was that seemed like the, you want to talk about the two point six yard average. He was uh, on the upper end of that. He was yeah. He, <laughs> he was, was on the over. He was having that. a nice <laughs> game running the ball. <laughs> yeah, and as soon as he got hurt, it seemed like they definitely. Went we, away and yeah, Jameer as, Gibbs didn't show that same ability to as run somebody who has Jameer Gibbs on my fantasy team. I never want to see my fantasy players hurt the Seahawks, but as soon as I saw Montgomery get hurt, I was like, Oh, Gibbs is about to go off in this game. And then they didn't really give him the ball at all. They even yeah. put in that Craig Reynolds guy, yeah, to they run did, the ball, which they did give it to him though both. on those third and fourth and shorts that. That he got stuffed on, which was kind of late in the game there. So they gave it to him a couple times and it didn't work out. I think that that Lions team was just kind of lost from their own aggressive offensive style. You know, it's like going for it on fourth down at the 50-yard line and then not getting it twice. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like you you kind of handed handed us some field position. And that's where I think you could say Geno didn't necessarily have a great game because you get handed the ball in the 50-yard line, you get one first down, you're in field goal range, and then your kicker misses it. You should have got the point still, but it's it's not like you really took advantage. Exactly, you didn't take advantage of it. Yeah. Like you, you did the bare minimum of what you really could have done in in those situations. So that's where I think it's a little hard to tell, or for me it's easy to tell, but it's like it's it's easy to think that he had a better game than he had when he was kind of in some cherried situations with field position between turnover <laughs> turnover on the first play of the second half and then them going for it on fourth down and not or unsuccessfully going uh, fourth down conversions on around the 50-yard line or close to it. Um you should come out with more points than zero. I think <laughs> maybe we got a touchdown on the, on that uh, second half drive. That was the only, yeah. that was the only points we got. That was again, that, Ken so. Walker walking it in. Yeah. So on that Ken Walker note, uh, unless you have anything else to say, I'm just going to roll this right into uh, next week. Seahawks play the Panthers. Uh, my initial, my initial thought is, is that I very much expect the Seahawks against this Panthers team to run the ball. Yeah. I'm still waiting waiting to see it. Well, I uh, saw that Shaq Thompson went down with an injury, and it sounds like it's going to be – I didn't see exactly what it was, but I saw he got carded off. So I'm guessing he's not going to be there, which is, I would guess, their best run-stopping linebacker um, on, in Carolina. So, yeah, we should be running the ball. And I think that – They still have a pretty nice front seven, though, because they still have yeah. uh, Derek Brown. Okay. Right? Remember yeah. him, yeah. Uh, D lineman. I think he's from uh, Auburn. Yeah, that sounds right. Is that right? I think that's right. I think that's right from a few years ago. And then they still have Brian Burns from Florida State. Okay. Premier premier pass rusher. 
Yeah, so they've still got some. I mean, it's the NFL. Every team's got a couple. They got Luvu. They got Luvu, the linebacker. Yeah. He's pretty good. So like, they still have a pretty solid front seven. I think J.C. Horn is still hurt. We love J.C. Horn. Yeah, we do love J.C. Horn. I'd love to see the guy be healthy at some point. Hopefully, he doesn't make his comeback against the Seahawks this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, you know, stay hurt for one more week, but I don't. I don't know this because I don't follow the uh, Panthers that well. But we don't with, know this with J.C. Horn hurt. We might see some. Uh, Shoot, his name alluded. Uh, Ta- uh, Keith Taylor. Oh yeah, that's right. I, right, yeah. former UW cornerback. Yeah, Keith Taylor. I, I know he's on that squad, or he was on that squad. Yeah, I, I assume he's still there. I would love to see Keith Taylor get out there. Just uh, he's a good player. Yeah, nice he's a good player. player. Not good enough that you should stop Jackson Smith and Jigba, or or DK or Tyler Lockett. <laughs> yeah, but but he's I wouldn't be shocked guy. if we see his his name get called a few times uh, in that game, but. I really do expect that against the Panthers, that should be, you know, a game that the Seahawks control. And I do think that it's going to start with a dominant running game because I haven't seen it so far. It's got to be the game that Charbonnet gets his first touchdown, right? I would think so. I've been calling for it. So I'd love to I'd love to see it. Yeah, I I think this is a good good week for the Seahawks. You're at home versus the Panthers. Bryce Young. That Monday rookie, night game was hard to rookie, watch. Rookie quarterback. I, I think it's a good game to uh, go out in front of the the twelves and uh, go kind of get right at home and really feel feel good about a dub. Because I think they just they have no receivers. Like, you, defensively, you should be in a in a pretty pretty good place uh, matchup wise against them. So. I'd love to see. I'd love to see us go out there and get a get a victory by two scores this weekend. Yeah, I don't see. I don't see any reason why the Seahawks can't go out there. Although at the same time, they were also heavy favorites last year uh, against the Panthers and man, <laughs> managed to piss that game away. I, I recall on the backs of Chuba <laughs> Hubbard running the ball. They have Deontay Foreman. Still at that time? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, Deontay Foreman, Chubba Hubbard. I think, though, that this needs to be the type of game for the Seahawks. Hopefully it's a really uh, get-right type of game. Like, you just got you just got a big win against the Lions. Is it real get-right type of game? Is it like, I don't know if Boye Mafe is going to be healthy. No idea. You got Nwosu. You got Derek Hall, who I'm still waiting to really see. Is it Bryce Young? If you saw him in that Monday night game. He looked young. <laughs> yeah. For fear of a horrible pun. Is that is it like he looked like he looked like a guy that was is still not ready for the NFL. I'm sure he'll be a nice enough player. He looked raw as a product. This is the time that guys like Daryl Taylor, Derek Hall, Boy Mafe, I already know Nwosu's good, so I don't need to call out his name. But some of these younger players that are edge rushers that are still trying to establish themselves. They need to go out there and get some sacks. They need to pad their stats. Like, yeah. this guy will hold the ball. Yeah. He will be late on his reads. You need to get home. Yeah. We are five and a half point favorites as it stands right now. So, you know, not a... I like the Seahawks on the spread. So take your money and bet on the Panthers. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's my that's my advice, my betting advice. But I, I think the Seahawks will cover that five and a half. Yeah, I think I think they should cover the five and a half. They got to show up. They they yeah. they look like shit week one. I think that was their call to action. They're I think they're ready to 
ready to be the team that they're supposed to be. Expect a heavy run offense. One uh, one last question here regarding Seahawks before we wrap it up. And I guess we can give our score predictions, but is this the week we see Jamal Adams come back? I hope so. I don't. I don't really have any insight on that. Is that he's I listed thought, as questionable? Yeah, I think he practiced. I thought, I thought a bit they last said before week, that he so. might he might be ready for this week. Yeah, I, I think he practiced a bit. I think he practiced all of last week. Is what I heard, but they, he didn't get NFL. Know, NFL so. runs it a little different. NFL coaches run it a little different than college, but. I'd say that this seems like a prime week that it's like if he's healthy and full practice that it's like run him out there in some packages. Yeah, you get it. Like well, you, you know, and especially ten, since you ten have to enough, fifteen snaps. Yeah, you have enough safeties on the on this team too that you're not. Yeah, he'll you play, know. but he won't get a lot of snaps. But like ten yeah. to fifteen snaps. Yeah, get him. I would just love to see him get back out there. It's kind of the moral story. So yeah, I'm I think this curious. is a good week for it. If uh, assuming he's ready to go, yeah, put him in a couple cherry packages and. And maybe throw a blitz, let him rush. couple, yeah, a couple blitz packages in there for him, and uh, and hopefully get his get his his uh, feet back under him. You got a score prediction for the game? Um, over under for the game was uh, was forty two points, um, with the Seahawks the being over. five and a half point favorites. I'll go. Uh, let's go twenty seven seventeen. Since I said two scores, how about? About thirty-one seventeen. Okay, I like thirty-one seventeen. All right, there you have it. Bet on Carolina. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bet Carolina to cover the spread and the under. Yeah. <laughs> if if you've listened to this podcast, you know that we're wrong every time. So yeah. There's your stone cold lock of the century of the of week. The week. <laughs> All right, for this last segment, uh, we're gonna go non-sports related. We're uh, blessed with the presence of our esteemed producer, Michael Tote. Uh, hopefully, friends of the show know him, but for those of you who don't, uh, lifelong friend, uh, Salt Knight, just like the uh, two slash three of us. Roommate for many years. Roommate for uh, Nigel and I. Friend of the show through and through. Also, for those who aren't aware, child star. He was on the uh, hit show for one year, Kid Nation, on CBS, and we are lucky to have him as a part of our production team. But the real crux of the conversation comes down to is that uh, as we record today, we have, I say we like we're a team (laughs) in this regard because we're not, but Michael has a... Uh, screening of Kid Nation coming up at the Beacon Hill Theater in, uh, is that like Rainier Beach? That... Uh, yeah, I think it's like Beacon Hill, maybe? Actually, unsure. Yeah. South... I'll, I'll find out the location yeah. and I'll make it there. Beacon Hill Theater, uh, I think is what it's, or or just Beacon Theater. Sorry. Just Beacon That's theater. why I'm getting confused. Is that uh, I've driven by it before, but there is going to be a live screening of the show where Michael is going to be in attendance as a coveted guest speaker slash Q&A guest. And so we have the privilege right now that prior to the uh, Q&A session at the theater, we get our own private Q&A with the one Michael Tar Michael Michael Tart. Michael Tart. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I'm already Michael Tart. I'm, I'm already I'm already slurring my words. Words. Michael Tote 
Golden Star winner from Kid Nation here. And uh, I guess my first question is, how are your nerves feeling going into this big event? Zero nerves. Got, I have no nerves because I lived the experience. <laughs> you know what? And like, as dumb as that sounds, that's actually the case. It's, it, it's actually like somebody asking you about like summer camp, but they filmed it basically. But, um, it's, it'll be a good time. I think because I've never, I haven't interacted with many people that actually enjoyed the show. Outside of us. <laughs> Outside of you guys. And, like, that being said, I don't know if you would have enjoyed it if I, like, wasn't on it. This was a bad show, to be clear. This was a show that ran one season on CBS. Um, I don't mean bad for any of the participants involved. All Everybody involved was awesome. Bad just in the terms of, like, timing, conceptualization, overall execution, Far less than the sum of its parts. Well, I think we should unpack that a little bit. And I don't want to blow the lid off of uh, CBS's uh, production standards. But like you said, it only lasted one season. Why? What about the production do you think made it only last one one season? Because honestly, is that I don't want to give away too much. But I do think that uh, there was a lot of merit to the idea in the sense that uh, I think the tagline would be Survivor for Children, which honestly sounds like a Rick and Morty, like, interdimensional cable type of <laughs> premise that, like, honestly, TV has really embraced since then. Was it just ahead of its time? Or were the production standards a little, uh, how you say, rough? I I, th- I think it's more the case that it's, um, I think it sounded more interesting than it actually turned out to be, and it's mostly because there was a structure added to it that wasn't particularly interesting. The conceit of the show when they like advertised it to you as somebody who might be on it was that like, there are going to be all these kids there. You're going to have a certain degree, a, a large degree of free reign to determine how things go. And then you showed up and they were like, we're going to do a set of arbitrary physical challenges. And these are going to sort you into a caste system that determines your pay. <laughs> Which I thought is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I have mixed feelings at the time. Uh, (laughs) Is it no different than your normal workday now? Not drastically different. No. Um, Every physical challenge we more or less failed at. We were the most beloved team, and that was because we Well, you didn't have Greg on your team. We didn't have Greg on our team, and that helped. Uh, For the the non-Kid Nation enthusiasts, this was just a real burly kid from, I think, the Reno area. Definitely like Nevada. Rodeo child. Very capable. We talked about the rodeo, so I think people know know about that. That's right. Yeah, he was was a wild cattle milker himself. Exactly. (laughs) Cattle milking competition. I forgot about that. But, uh, yeah, frankly, a super intimidating dude was also arguably a bully but anyway that's besides <laughs> we the hate point. boys uh the show failed because it was a combination of too ambitious but also like not following through with it they're like we got all these kids on a reality show and then they did something like intensely boring with it i i think like the whole like moral panic around it not really deserved uh everybody there as far as i know was treated like more or less pretty well you could get into the whole thing of like not really paying kids well like a whole exploitation of labor thing, which I think some of those people felt on the show. 
that's just not my experience. Well, that's because I didn't win a gold star. (laughs) (laughs) My words, not yours. Yeah, yeah, you can say that. Um, And I appreciate that. This is actually the second podcast, technically, I've talked about the uh, Beacon appearance on. Really? This is the more important one. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad you clarified. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just to be clear. But yeah, so this theater is, um, they're showing like some sort of truncated version of it. I think the most fun for me will just be Michael, Michael, Michael. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a point where I gave uh, like a a, a a rousing speech, I would say. The type That's of a good thing, way to describe it. Yeah. The type of thing you can find at any middle school graduation <laughs> by any sort of like I don't know, really precocious thirteen year old. <laughs> Hard hitting shit. Uh, How do you feel about being the role model of an entire generation? pretty bad given how things are going um (laughs) i don't think that well that being said i guess the younger generations are where my hope resides so i suppose that's probably where my influence was most felt in this one season (laughs) reality show from 2007 (laughs) (laughs) how do i how do i phrase this i have a lot of questions but now that i have you on a hot mic could you give us one one spicy detail from from this experience that you think that would shake the viewer's perspective. Let, let's say you're just a young kid like myself watching the show, and I think I think you've given me some spicy points, like, uh, you know, off off air or whatever. But like one spicy point from the show that I think even even just somebody nowadays, because like reality television is such a large component of most television yeah. that it's like yeah so i did this but like you would never understand that like this is how it goes or this is something that happened behind the scenes if you can give me one little spicy tidbit hey, this will sound weird maybe i just want a question so that when i show up to the beacon <laughs> that i'd be like i have insider I, I just want you to feed me the question like all all jokes aside, I just want a spicy question basically to ask you. So I'm trying to get the insider knowledge now. It's you know it's actually hard to come up with because at least I think my experience was relatively tame. The spiciest thing might be, and it's more of commentary, I suppose, on the rest of reality TV, is that if you were to extrapolate the way that like that show was shot and apply how that happened, like production crew interacting with people being filmed very little scripted actual commentary or or like dialogue from kids maybe easier to believe when it's like kids and everything i don't think people fully grasp that like reality tv i some of it is probably inevitably scripted and again i was on like one season 40 days of one thing but at least in my experience they put you in very strange situations but film very real reactions and sometimes they might ask you to repeat a line if, like, audio was bad or something like that. But generally speaking, um, I suppose if you put people in front of a camera, that's all you need to do. I think there's a misconception that you have to, like, push and prod people into doing things that are interesting for a camera. I don't necessarily know what it is about people, but it tends to be the case if you put a camera in front of people they want to do something interesting or notable in front of it or hide entirely. That's not very spicy, but that is Mm. the most interesting thing I can tell you. 
you trying to tell me that people are naturally interesting? Because I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> Not that people are naturally interesting, that people have a natural inclination to want to be interesting. Mm. And interesting in a way that is usually, like, likable. I'm trying to think of something actually spicy. I eat so much beef jerky, I had horrible diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is spicy. That does yeah. sound spicy. Yeah, yeah that's, that's quite literally the most spicy thing I could say about it. Nigel, do you have any... Uh... I'm trying to think of any anything uh, profound. I know so many of the answers to the behind the scenes things already, but I don't know. Is there is there anything you're like scared that someone's gonna bring up during this during this uh, showing? Like something that something that you don't want to talk about that you're worried worried will come up? No, not really. I um, listen, right when the show came out, I I got interviewed by Seventeen magazine. <laughs> <laughs> nice okay. uh it wasn't any sort of like they wanted to talk to me scenario it's the type of thing where like if you're on a tv show they run you through like 12 interviews in four hours or something like that and then those publications get to like pick and choose whatever you want so when i was 14 they were like tell us michael who did you hook up with <laughs> it was the most nice. off-putting thing i'd ever heard when you're like i don't know talking about a show of children that's a question I dread. Ages between 8 and 14. More so, not to be like, I don't know. I've taken this into probably too serious of a direction. I had a very easy experience on this show. But there were 39 other kids, and some of them were as young as like 8 years old. So I guess the only thing I'm truly afraid of is that like, I don't know what it was like to be on a TV show when you were that old. I was 14. Pretty easy. Yeah, you were definitely towards the top end of the age spectrum. Probably more equipped to handle those types of situations. I got I got a spicy question. Uh, what happens if you show up to this Beacon, Beacon Theater and uh, they start the Q&A and then they, you start uh, chatting about this and then they're like, we also have a special guest to bring in. Your arch nemesis, Greg, and he steps in the door. How do you think that interaction would go? Well, I think I'd I'd be pretty gracious in accepting his apologies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Good answer. Nah, I don't know. It probably wouldn't be that bad. It's it's fucking weird because people also like. I'm pretty sure that guy has like three kids now, and that's just like a very different phase of life. It feels like the same dynamic would prevail where it's like, I know we don't really get along. You're from a world I don't fucking get. And I think he would feel the same of me. Probably bad move on Beacon Theater's part. But uh, ultimately, if you want to give the answer of how I would like it to go, we would take it to the squared circle. (laughs) (laughs) Expand on that. And... uh, I don't know. It would probably be a, a real like underdog fights from underneath against like big scary villain. I'm thinking like Ray Mysterio versus Randy Orton. <laughs> and I are you Ray Mysterio? Yeah, of course, man. No, he's he's Randy Orton. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm yeah. gonna be Randy Orton and the the rough and tumble ranch hand from Reno's Ray Mysterio. Oh, actually, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I give him a three six one nine and it's game gone. over. <laughs> It's actually just a three six nine, not three six one nine. You've uh, you stayed in touch with several of the other cast members over the years. Not necessarily close friends, but you've you've uh, 
talked to them and hung out with a few of them. We even had one come to our house at one point when we lived together. Um, who are you still close with and or who do you still interact with and have uh, made like lasting friendships with outside the show? Almost nobody. <laughs> um, and, and that's a little harsh. I just think it's it's everybody that I liked a lot on the show is a little bit scattered. Um, not too long ago, I was going to get in contact with Sophia, who was pretty cool, but both of us just, I don't know, I, I ended up like buying a house fairly recently, and that's taken up a lot of time, and I think she's doing um, doing lawyer things, as far as I know, and that tends to take up a lot of time uh Anjay who came to our house when we were like all roommates super cool guy I think actually B Kanthea was gonna reach out he was one of the younger contestants too wasn't he yeah not like on the severe younger slice of things but um I think he was like a few years younger than you yeah maybe between like 11 and 13 probably like I think maybe 12 super cool dude um he I know he lives in Seattle and I think Beacon Theater was gonna reach out to him as well see if he wanted to show up um those are the two that i've had like the most recent contact with i was on a podcast one time with mike uh mike the other dude from washington cool guy but yeah was i don't know wore the cowboy hat yeah yeah, yeah he okay. did wear a cowboy hat i'm like facebook friends with everybody but that's kind of how it is at least in my experiences that it's not as i i knew these people for 40 days and it was a very intense 40 days and i like a lot of these people a lot but uh i don't know maybe it says more of me is growing up in a small town and I still have the same friends I did since like elementary school, but they're kind of like, you know, Facebook friends that you, you care about in a certain regard, but they're not, You're not deeply in your life. Yeah. So what are you looking least forward to <laughs> in this? Uh, this is a combination. I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, the best and worst part of this is that I'm pretty sure the only thing that I will have ever have like IMDb credits for probably, probably we'll see. If <laughs> Dwayne Johnson returns my calls might change. Uh, <laughs> uh, is going to be like this show. That's totally fine. Never wanted to be in like, you know, TV or movies really. But um, this is also a place that I'm pretty sure like screens the room fairly frequently, which I know has been a topic of this podcast. Tommy Wasau. Uh, the legend, the man, the creative genius. So, I mean, the only thing I've ever been involved with at least has some proximity to that, which is awesome. It also has some proximity to that and how much it kind of sucked, I think. <laughs> and that's fine. That'll just be my time in the spotlight, I guess. Yeah, I like that answer. Yeah. There you go. So to close this up, sports are great. I was on a fantastic TV show. It's at the Beacon Theater on the 24th. It'll be... We expect all of you to be there. If at it, the it, house. Please be nice. <laughs> yeah, I think oh. that's, that's the real, real send-off. Is... Oh, the, the real uh, punch-out here is that I'm going to have to drop the ball on them. That I don't know if I'll be able to actually stay the whole time because uh, I got a show that night. Bulldozer from Italy is coming to town, and... Uh, they don't tour the West Coast very frequently. <laughs> so going to have to call it an early night, potentially. So make sure you're there early. <laughs> you're here first. Yeah, you heard it here, folks. Show up early, show out often. See Michael Tote at Beacon Theater on Sunday the 24th. We're going to watch a little uh, Kid Nation. We're going to grill Michael again. You got your warm-up questions already in. Uh, groundwork is set. 
for for the event. So we expect the Bring Your Lunch Pail fan base to show out. The faithful listeners. Yeah. We we like to support our own. So we'll see you there. Um, I think we've covered enough, hopefully, on this episode. We'll be back next week. And uh, that's all we got for you now. So... Go dogs, go Mariners, go Seahawks, go whatever team you like. I don't care. As the most recent graduate of a UW program in this room, go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs> go dogs. <laughs> See ya. representing yourselves this is to prove that kids of all age groups like you guys can actually take control get organized and that you can actually work together cooperatively without greed you guys actually need to listen to your leaders because yes okay they've made a few mistakes this is the second day there's gonna be mistakes okay but you guys really need to think of your job and you need to take control of it and after we do that we'll just become a working machine and we'll just work out a lot better Come <laughs> on!